please? Ah, there we go. Uh, last week we talked about being in the wilderness and that God did not automatically zap Israel from a place of bondage and slavery to this promised place that he's promised them that they're going to be, you know, we'll get this revealed, this land flowing with milk and honey, well, they will be this nation. They're called to be this nation where all these nations come and see what it's like to be in Yahweh's kingdom, what it's like to live in relationship with God. And like, they're there to come and be instructed and to connect to God. And it's this really beautiful thing. But I'm convinced Israel's not ready for that yet. <laughs> and I think that we can see that as we've gone through and we've seen Israel go through some of these challenges, their backs against the wall, Egypt's coming at them, and they're like, oh, I'm going to die, you know. He's already done all these plagues. He's already shown his power. And then as soon as they get out of that, they get thirsty, which, man, that's a serious situation. So they looked for three days, didn't find any water, three days without water in the desert. I don't think any of us want to be in that situation, do y'all? And they complain and they grumble. But what does God do? God provides. Then they get hungry, and what, instead of learning from that past mistake, they complain and they grumble. And But God, what does he do? Provides manna, he provides quail. He's trying to teach them how to trust him, how to say, I am your father, Israel. You are my son. Trust me. I've got you. And I would say, can many of us relate with Israel on this one? Where we feel like uh, sometimes God's got to, He's got to keep going back, back and back. And then I go, oh, man, Lord, I feel like I've got it licked. And then I uh, find out, oh, man, I'm struggling there again. But the last thing I want to mention before we dive into the text is, next slide, please, is what I've, I've noodled a lot this week on this thought of when we hear of the word freedom, because it's a lot of what we're seeing here. God has provided a way out. When we hear the word freedom, I think many of us focus entirely on this idea of freedom from. So that might be freedom from addiction, freedom from anger, freedom from a relationship, you know, whatever it may be, like freedom from, freedom from, freedom from. But what we see with, through the scriptures and what God reveals himself as, as a God who, pro, who provides freedom to. Not just freedom. Sure, they were free from Egypt and the slavery and the bondage, but they were free for a purpose. Freedom from Pharaoh and his rule and making bricks and building Pharaoh's empire and infrastructure to freedom to serve God and building his kingdom. So they have purpose. If we don't get set free, and I think that we, I know we, we st often struggle with that, like I'm set free, we're set free, but you are set free for a reason. We are set free to be the people of God, to be the sons and daughters of God who live in the kingdom of God and show the world, like God asked Israel to, what it means to be in relationship with him as the people of God. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. So, next slide. We're going to go to Exodus 17. And I'll just start reading from, the, from verse 1. I'm not going to read all through 17 and 18, but I'm just going to talk through it and read a little bit. From the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. So this actually sounds pretty good. Like, at this point in time, there's stages. God is saying, go here, then go here, then go here. And it seems like they're obeying that. They're going and they're journeying by stages. So, hey, cool. There's some good news. 
But they run into literally the same problem that they had that we talked about last week. Have you guys ever had that happen where, like, God gives you a trial or a test or whatever, and you find yourself right back in it, like, a month later, a few days later, a week later, whatever it may be? I remember having that happen to me um, a couple years ago whenever someone had an issue with me or something I was doing. I can't remember what it was exactly. Uh, but I, don't, I didn't handle it very well. great. You know, it wasn't awful. But I remember thinking as I came back from that conversation, I kind of got let my emotions get the best of me. And then I remember, like, I have this close-knit group of friends that I usually will call and just, like, bounce thoughts off, ask them to pray, and say, hey, help me think through this. But I noticed I was not calling one or two. I was calling all of them because I just wanted to tell the story. I was gossiping, I think, a little bit. And I remember going through that and going, man, this is not the right way that Jesus would handle this, right? This is not what he would have done. This is, I don't think I said what he would have said. I don't think he would be calling all these people just to kind of retell the story um, so that they can, you know, maybe not even think great of this person. I don't know what was all in my heart there, but it wasn't all good. And then, I mean, I'll tell you what, like, less than a week later, I'm almost in the exact same situation with somebody else. And I, I could tell you all my, you know, how much I fail. This time I actually done good. <laughs> Instead of getting angry at God or whatever, and be like, oh, I can't believe I'm, this is happening again and this person's mad at me again or whatever, I actually went, awesome, I can redeem myself on this one. <laughs> like, I'm going to, like, learn from the dumb thing I did last time, and I'm going to actually grow. I'm going to do it this time because plenty of times I don't do it. I'm going to learn from this. And I did, and it was, it was really incredible. And I say that to say, I don't know if, you know, we could look at this and be like, God, why are you putting them in this situation again? Like, that's not fair. I mean, they're hungry, they're thirsty, you know, they're thirsty again. Uh, we're going to see an army is going to attack them. Like, what is going on? But what if we looked at it from God's perspective and maybe God is giving them an opportunity to grow. Instead of getting angry and going, no, why again, God? Maybe when this happens to us, we say, God, okay, what, did I, what do I need to learn from, that, from what happened last time? What are you doing in me or in us as a people? What character traits are you trying to grow in me? Uh, maybe you're trying to grow resilience, endurance. Maybe you're trying to grow kindness. Maybe you're trying to grow me standing up for myself because I didn't last time and I've been, you know, ran over, you know, all the time. But Moses, I mean, the Israelites, you might think that they might have learned, but it almost seems like they go backwards a little bit in this scenario. Because with the same exact situation happening, they have in verse 3 a very similar complaint to last time. Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? That Moses just loved, loved it. I, lo I bet he just loved leading the people of Israel, huh? This is very similar to what they said. He's, they've seen God rescue them from an army chasing, the army of armies of the day, chasing them down with their backs against the Red Sea, and he delivered them. I mean, they've seen God take bitter water, water that was probably too salty to drink, and miraculously heal the water, and they're able to drink. And yet, again, the Israelites go, we're going to die. We're going to die. And it was, I say, they may have actually gone backwards a little bit because in Moses' cry out to the Lord in verse 4, it says, what shall I do with these people? This people, they are almost ready to stone me. 
So not only are they complaining like they've done in the past, at this point, God, there looks like they're ready to pick up stones and take me out. And this is for Moses, put yourself in his shoes, the leader who doesn't want to be the leader, who's just, have you ever felt, who's just doing what God told him to do, and yet he's dealing with all these people who are complaining and having these problems, who are now ready to just take him down. I really honor Moses for not saying, peace, I'm out. Because <laughs> I think many of us would have, done the, would have said, all right, God, you know what? I'm drawing the line here. I mean, they're going to try to stone me. I'm tired of this. This is way too many times. Not only do I admire Moses for not leaving, I also continue to be blown away by the patience of God. And I think many of us may be, can relate to the Israelites and go, man, God, we've gone around this mountain so many times, and God's just sitting there going, I'm trying to grow you, let's go. Like, I'm not done with you, Israel. He doesn't say that. I'm done. Get out of here. Even though they've just failed the same way again, just one time after the other, the exact same way or very similar situations, God doesn't give them a way out. He doesn't say, okay, you can go do whatever you want to do. He says, no, you're still my people, and I still have promise, and I still have plan, and you're still going there. We're just going to have to work on some things on your way to promise. And I think 100% God says the same thing to us, that if anyone's canceled themselves out and said, well, I'm done. I've made too many mistakes. I've done this over and over and over. God may say, mm, you're not. <laughs> you're not done. You got not done. So what does God tell uh, Moses to do? God goes ahead and he brings deliverance again. Next slide. Moses said, I mean, God says to Moses, take this staff that I've given you. Is it going? I love it. You can't see, but like I'll see Nathan's eyes peek up over the thing and get real big and he's trying to see. Or John, is it, who's back there? Oh, anyways, it doesn't matter. Um, to make sure it's going. Um, but God says, take this staff that you struck denial with. Which is, you know, God is using this staff to throw it down and turn it into a snake. You guys remember that? Eat Pharaoh's snakes. The same staff to part the Red Sea. This staff to now strike this rock. The staff, as we're going to read in a second, in the next scene, win a war. And it's just a shepherd's staff. That's what this is. Moses was shepherding. God says, take this stick and I'm going to do something incredible with it. And I know this, I don't know if this sounds cliche or whatever, but the reality is, is many of us see ourselves as a rod like that. We're just a shepherd's staff. What are we? Hey, do you see over there? There's some scars on the, on the, on the staff. There's some knots over there. There's, it's just a, it's just, it's just a plain old rod. But over and over and over in scripture, we see God showing his might through using ordinary things or weak people. And I think oftentimes it's so easy to go, wow, God couldn't use me because I'm this. I don't have this talent. I don't have this skill. Can you look at him? Can you look at her? All these things. And I continue to say, I think that's the greatest place for us to be ready for God to use us. He uses a young woman to marry to deliver the Savior of the world. He picks up fishermen. He picks up tax collectors. says, hey, come follow me. All the people that we wouldn't have picked, he picks them. And God does that consistently through Scripture. And God decides to use this little shepherd's staff to what it turns into, as Ben Austin's pointed out many times to me, the staff of God, the rod of God. That's what, it's, that's what it's named. But I think what happens is, the problem is, is we're oftentimes so focused on us and our 
abilities or inabilities, uh, the sins that we commit, the problems that we have, right? Like, man, I've screwed up there. God, I just, do you, did you see me just do this? And we just kind of cancel ourselves out. Like, God, you can't, you can't. I'm just an a old stick. But the problem is if we would stop looking, just focusing entirely on ourselves and actually put our eyes on God, because in verse 6 it says, when you strike, the ro- when you strike this um, rock, he says, I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. It's the power behind the rod. It's the power behind the stick that matters. And I think oftentimes it's our inability or our lack of revelation of the power of God that prevents us from moving forward. Because God can use and will use any of us if we'll just listen and obey. It's really simple. And these are not just small things God is doing with this staff. This is huge. Parting waters, parting seas, crazy things that he's doing through a surrendered staff. In addition to that, by the way, we're seeing part of the fulfillment of Exodus chapter 3 when originally God tells Moses, you're coming out of freedom and I'm taking you to the mountain of God to worship me. And right now we see they're at Horeb, right? Horeb and Sinai are probably the same mountain or the same area. And we see Israel journeying in stages to this place that God has told them. Next week we'll talk more about that. But he strikes the rock and it's a great deliverance. You might think, ah, that's great, God. It's over now. Of course, they haven't really passed any tests or seem to have grown from them, so maybe it's not. We immediately see in verse 8 that now this marauding nomad band of Amalekites has decided, hey, we're going to go take out these, these Israelites. Oh, look at that. Look at that plunder they have from Egypt. Who knows why, right? Like, we're going to go take them down. So now the Israelites find themselves not only hungry and thirsty, but God delivering again and again and again. Now they're getting physically attacked. Jeez. If Israel is supposed to go into promise and be able to take the land, they've got to learn how to win these little battles, right? Well, how can they go do all that if they can't win these battles? It says, Then Amalek came, in verse 8, and fought with Israel at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some men for us and go out, fight with Amalek. Go to the next slide. So one of the reasons that, you know, I've titled this, We're in this together, is because we're going to see whether we, see the people of Israel and ask ourselves whether we will be people of unity and coming together to accomplish the mission of God, or if we'll be found like what we just read, people that will complain and fight against each other. And I want to say this, conflict doesn't necessarily, isn't necessarily bad. But this complaining spirit, this coming at Moses' spirit, they didn't come to Moses and even say, hey Moses, dude, what's going on? Like, this stinks, this is happening again, but can we pray together? No, it's like, we're going to stone you, sucker. Like, I don't, like, that's, that's not a good... <laughs> That's not good for the unity of God. And God, I know he does not want them to live like that. But here I, I show this picture of Joshua. Because before we look at this battle, this is the man who is going to take over Moses' spot eventually. I love Joshua. And I feel like I can learn so much from him. And I'm still learning so much from him. Because here Moses says, hey, go choose some men and go to, go to battle. And Joshua doesn't go, Dude, come on, man. I don't want to go do that. 
Joshua just obeys. He just does what Moses says. And if you look through, and we'll see through, through Exodus, we never see Joshua trying to usurp Moses' authority, trying to jump into position ahead of time, which I know that had, I mean, that could be an easy, could have been an easy challenge for him. I mean, they're grumbling against Moses. Joshua could have said, oh yeah, I know, this, this guy should not be the leader. I could be the leader. But what you see is you see a man who serves and a man who recognizes that God has Moses in this role. And so I can choose to come out against what God's doing or just serve, just live in that role. And you'll see Joshua doing that. You'll see Joshua spending time in the tent of meeting and prayer and all these things. And you just see, I just see why God probably selected him as Moses' replacement. Because he's focused on God and what God is doing and not about me and me getting some of whatever it is, power, money, whatever it may be. So God, uh, Moses sends Joshua down and says, go fight. Um, Joshua does exactly what he says in the next slide. And then this really bizarre thing happens. I think this is super bizarre. I don't know. Like, the people of Israel are fighting down here in this land, and Moses has this staff of God, this rod of God, Ordinary stick, but with God's power, does crazy, amazing things. And as long as he's holding it up, the Israelites are winning. Isn't it? But if he lowers it, the Israelites start to lose. And it doesn't really give us any background as to what's exactly going on. Like, is God's power being released? Is Israel just encouraged when they see the staff up and going, yeah, that's a rod of God, and they're out there fighting and all these things? We don't know exactly what's going on. But we do know that when he raises it, Israel's winning. And what ends up happening is super, something super simple, his arms get tired. I think mine would have too. Like, oh my gosh, I'm tired of holding up this rod. Like, this is a lot. And so you have her and you have Aaron. They slide a rock under him so that he can actually sit down. And here, I thought about this. Aaron or her and could have said, give me the staff. I'll do it. I'll hold it up. In fact, you do see Aaron later on doing a little usurping, but not here. Here you see him going, I mean, dude, you know how nasty it might have been to hold up this probably sweaty man's arms with his pit sweating and everything because he's trying to hold this up? I'm just being real. Like, <laughs> like, ugh, like it's dripping on you and stuff. I don't, but, it, I mean, we, <laughs> you look at the story and you think, oh, it's so nice. What a cool thing. They're holding up his arms. Like, oh, no, I mean, it was probably gross. Because he's up there all day doing this. And what I love in this picture is I see Israel giving us a glimpse of who they can be. A people who are, there's those who are down in the valley or at least below the hill where they're at, fighting and doing what, what, um, what is necessary and what needs to be done. You have Moses holding the staff and the rod of God. You have um, Aaron, you have her holding up his arms just saying, God, I'll, let's, let's, let's do this thing. And I'm reminded that oftentimes when external conflict comes from people, the people of God actually unify together. Like the places where there's oftentimes the most unity and the most kingdom breaking through are the most persecuted places in the world. It's places where we go, oh, you know what? Why are we bickering about some of this dumb stuff? Like we, we need each other. 
where we recognize we're in this together. We actually have to have each other. Nothing happens if Moses can hold the rod up, but God was choosing not to just go zap. He was choosing to use the people. If the people would say, no, I'm not going to go battle. Or what happens if Aaron and Hur don't, you know, hold up his arms? If Aaron and Hur try to usurp his authority, but Aaron and Hur instead go, no, I'm going to serve. I'm going to serve what God is doing. They have this conflict. They come together and they see God at work and God delivers them. He delivers them and they build an altar. And they actually, he says, um, write this down in a book. This is verse 14 and recite it in the hearing of Joshua. I think God knew what was, what was happening. He wanted Joshua to know, to be reminded because you're going to be the leader of what God can do. And that he will utterly, it says, blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. They build an altar, and they call the altar, uh, the Lord is my banner. And that's actually even the same word they used for when the serpent was created in the wilderness. Uh, they built and they raised the serpent in the wilderness, and everyone was healed that, that looked at that. But this is a beautiful picture because Ben and I were talking before church, and this is not just we're in this together. We're just you know, trying to do this as a family, which is really great. But we're in this with, to get with each other and with God and being led by God. And Moses is saying, this battle is not won without God being our banner, without us looking to God. We will look to God. He is our deliverance. We're not even here. We're not even alive. We're, 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 we've gone thirsty and died. We've gone hungry and died if God was not leading us. So God is our banner. And if we as a people of God recognize that and say, Stop looking at ourselves and our problems and our, our inadequacies and go, let's follow God. Let's do this. We'd be amazed at what God will do. And I'm amazed at what God is doing. So many amazing things that are taking place. But it's just submitting and going, God, you lead. Because we know that God's desiring to do incredible things. Take us to promise a place where we are blessing others. Um, he's blessing us to bless others, as so many of us say here. Uh, next slide. I'm going to go through 18 really fast, relatively quickly. Well, actually, it's only 10.58. Maybe I need to slow it down a little bit. Jeez. Well, okay. Well, Brian's talking. I know he can talk for a while, so we'll be good. <laughs> In chapter 18, something interesting takes place. First of all, Moses, by the way, has sent his wife back and his kids. Do you know that? It says here that Jethro comes, who's Moses' father-in-law, who we have actually seen earlier in this story. And when Jethro, his father-in-law, comes, I think this is so cool, Moses sits down and starts telling him all of what God has done. God has delivered us from the Egyptians. God has provided water. God has provided food. God has done this and done that. And this Jethro, who is not an Israelite, right? This is a Gentile listens to these stories that have been told of what Israel has done. And in chapter 18, verse 10, this is his response to that. It says, Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you from the Egyptians and from Pharaoh. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. Because, why? He knows, why is the Lord greater? Because he has delivered the people from the Egyptians when they dealt arrogantly with them. We don't know in our time of wilderness, in our trials, in the struggles that we go through, who is watching. 
And we don't know, not only do we go through rough and difficult things to see growth in us, but we also do it so that others can see God at work. So that others can see the way that you went through that situation and how God's hand moved and provided miraculous finances or you were able to go through it and it was tough and it was difficult, but they saw the character that God had worked in you and said, Whoa, that's strange. Like, what's, what's going on here? I encourage us in that because we will, as I mentioned last week, go through trials and tests. We're gonna, it's going to happen. All through Scripture, it's going to happen. And so again, we can look and go, what is our perspective? Is our perspective tossed to and fro based on our circumstance? Circumstances and situations matter, right? But what I've seen here is that Israel is so tossed by their circumstances, their one-day tambourines and singing songs to the next, the next to the Lord, the next day they're, oh my, oh God, we're dying, you know, help us or whatever. But if I contrast that with God's character, think of how frustrating this hat could be for God. <laughs> they won't trust you with, the, with coming out of Egypt. They won't trust you with the Egyptians' army. They're not trusting you with food. They're not trusting you with water. And if God was tossed to and fro by his circumstances, he would have been done with this plan a long time ago. He would have said, well, for, these Israelites, what are they doing? They're trying to stone my, the, 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 the person that I've put in charge here. But what you see is a God who is faithful and consistent and patient. And we get that opportunity to join in with that character of God. And when we go through difficult times and challenging times, we can choose to be tossed wildly back and forth by our situations. Again, I'm not trying to say situations aren't difficult or hard. There's not a time to cry. There's not a time to cry out to God. Of course there is. But I'm talking about this wild back and forth, back and forth. Or can we learn how to trust and walk in patience with God? Walk with God and walk in patience. And watch this, watch what God will do and other people will see and they may look at, our, look, at, look at our lives and go, I think that's God. We may go through some really, really tough and hard times. I think many of us have probably done that. And in the midst of those difficult times, seen God provide deliverance to people's lives. And to where we may have said, I, said, I would never want to go through that again, but I would if it meant this person comes into the kingdom and follows God. If it meant this person was encouraged in this way. Moses and the Israelites, though they're screwing up, are still, Jethro's still going, oh man, God's doing something with these people. God can still, he can use people who screw up over and over and over if they'll just stay with him. But another really interesting thing that takes place here is that Jethro observes Moses' day. This kind of gets us like a day in the life of Moses, because they're not always going through the wilderness. Like they're in wilderness, but they're going by stages. Sometimes they're camped and they're doing things. And Jethro observes that what Moses is doing most of the day is judging Israel. He's sitting down and for, from morning, it says, until the evening. That sounds like a horrible job, by the way. Could you imagine sitting there and in, all day all you hear is bickering and complaining and this person against this and this person against this. Can you make it? Man, 
I don't know if I could. That, that would be difficult to handle. If I wasn't peace, I'm out because they're complaining against me, I might be peace, I'm out because I'm sick of hearing your bickering. But I think Jethro was a godsend for Moses. Because Jethro comes and he watches this taking place and he goes, dude, Moses, you are going to wear yourself out. Like, you cannot keep doing this. All this time, I'm sure all this emotional stress and this, this is very taxing. Moses, you cannot do this. I think, first of all, I think many of us have probably understand what it feels like to be that wore out as Moses probably was in that scenario. Anybody? Is that where you're just like emotionally, physically drained, exhausted probably because of all these things that are taking place? In fact, this week I was having a conversation with someone who let me know uh, her father was a pastor. And I don't know how we got on this subject, um, but we were talking about, oh, I was just talking about how I know a lot of folks that are kind of burnt out. And ministry, is, it'll wear you out. If you've ever, everyone's in ministry. But if you're doing full-time ministry or whatever, we don't just preach on Sundays. You know, that's the, that's the yeah, Deborah knows because she was married, married to a preacher, is married to a preacher. And, um, she told me that her dad had a heart attack. And she's like, I'm convinced that it was ministry that did it to him. And she said it was at that time, not only was he the pastor of a church, but this is the kicker, he lived across the street from the church. That was, Bruce, you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying, Pat? She, said, she remembers being a little girl, and he couldn't drink a cup of coffee on his front porch and just enjoy the morning without people coming over to his porch and sitting down and talking to him and having issues or doing whatever. And she just told me that she's like, I am convinced that without a doubt, that's the reason he had a heart attack because he had put too much on himself and struggled to say no, you know, to, Hey, I need some time. I need to, you know, I need to rest or I need to do those things. He just felt that obligation. And I, I see that kind of similar thing with Moses. And whether we're like pastors or whether we're just mom or moms or dads that are just, man, wore out or work or whatever it is, that Jethro gives us instruction. He says, basically, Moses, you need to disciple these people a lot better than you are. He says, you're receiving instruction from the Lord. Go instruct them. And not only instruct them, find people who are trustworthy and able and teach them so that they can bear the burden of this. Like, you can still do some of the, the difficult, really challenging ones, but can you imagine hundreds of thousands of people and you are the only one doing this? And I, I, don't, I wondered why Moses had allowed this to happen, though I kind of leaning personally towards they may have just been in survival mode at this point. Like, let's, we're just, I hadn't really thought about it. But I think, like, Moses... I wonder why some of us allow ourselves to be in those situations. And good Lord, I, I, I'm guilty 100% of that. Whether it is just like the power or the title of, you know, the prestige of being where you're at. Or, you know, maybe you're too nice to say no. Anyone like that? Here's mine. I'm, this is dumb. I'm so positive I think I can do everything. Anyone like that? Anyone's like, I, I got that. Yeah, we can do that. And it's like a seven-hour project. And I'm like, two hours, no problem. And then I find myself overwhelmed because I think that I can do things a lot faster. Maybe that's not overly positive. Maybe that's just stupid. But that's, I'll just say that to feel nice. So maybe you're overwhelmed because you're dumb like me. Um, <laughs> but whatever it may be, the reality is, is we need 
we need several types of people. We need leaders and people who are willing to raise up others and to pour into others. Seriously, you, we have to do that. You are going to wear yourself out. Super simple, I've been teaching Noah how to cook, right? I've showed you that. And like Noah's taking culinary arts. He's doing all these things. Where's Noah at? Oh, he's in the back. And I love this guy. It really tests my patience sometimes. And God is real. I mean, serious. And, and it's, I recognize how easily I get frustrated. Like, I feel like I'm pretty easygoing. But, like, he gets there and he starts, you know, chopping. And he, he's just, he's really, he, he's a slow, slow-moving guy. But God says, you've been doing this for over 20 years. How long has he been doing it? I mean, I'm just telling you, this is, like, what's prompted. Six months. What do you expect? You think he can chop as fast as you? Do you think that he can do these things as fast? And I'm telling you, I can feel my blood boiling. So like, and I have to stop myself from grabbing the knife because I've got other kids going, when's dinner, Dad? You know, and then, you know, uh, we might have a shepherd's meeting at night or a basketball practice. You know, we have to, and there will be, there sometimes I grab and go, let me see this. And I'm, I, I'm trying, I'm maybe calm on the outside, but I'm not calm on the inside. But God is teaching me so much through that because he's showing me how much I'm lacking patience, how much I'm even often unwilling to teach because I can just do it better, right? A lot of us are like that, right? There's this, that business rule that says if someone can do something 80% as well as you, let them do it. But so many of us, like myself sometimes, are such control freaks or because we think we, can, we know we can do it better or easier or faster, we're unwilling to disciple others in how to do things. Whether that's cooking, whether that's working in the shed and helping others, or whether that's, you know, whatever it may be. I'm not saying Julie doesn't do a good job of that, so I'm just thinking of things that we do. But I struggle with this. And I think Jethro would probably go, John, what are you doing? And I love disciple-making, and I still recognize that this is still a struggle for me. <laughs> because if I'm an amazing cleaner, and someone does 80% as well as me, and there's still dust on the fans, I'm going to flip out. But they're never going to learn how to clean if I don't give them a chance to do it. Noah's never going to learn how to be a great chef if I never give him a chance to do it, because I just think I'm just going to take the reins and just do it every time. We also need people, though, that are teachable. If Moses didn't have people that he could trust that are teachable, it doesn't work out either. And so people who will be sponges, who will listen, who will, who will be patient and decide, I know this is going to be tough for me to grow in this area, but this is going to help. This is, this is a good thing for the body. This is a good thing for this, is, this nation of Israel. And all these things together... See, this is why I say we're in this together. We're going to end it through trials. We're in it through wilderness. We, listen, we, we, you can wander the wilderness by yourself, but you'll probably die. Like, that's just the reality. So you can either choose to wander it by yourself or wander it with people who are not perfect, <laughs> who complain too much. <laughs> but we're, we are trying to grow. We're trying to grow trying to teach one another, trying to learn from those who are teaching us so that we can be a kingdom and priest to God that show the world what it's like, what it's like to live in God's kingdom. <sighs> it's good. I love this. This is, this is good, good two chapters.
Let's pray. Father, um, you are our banner. Um, forgive me for the times I've looked at myself and looked at my flaws or looked at me, some sin that I'm struggling with or whatever and have said, well, God can't use me now. Lord, I think we've all probably experienced that. I pray that we would look at the banner, which is you, and recognize that it's not the staff that brings deliverance, but the power behind the staff, which is you. And that we will band, continue to band together, Lord. I think we actually do a, a pretty good job, but we, there's always growth, that we would continue to band together in unity to see your kingdom well-established here in Murfreesboro, God. To see your kingdom established among the broken, to see your kingdom established among the poor, among the wealthy. <laughs> there's often as much emptiness in riches as there is in anything else. Just pray that we would learn how to be discipled well and to disciple well, to teach and to learn. And all along the way, we just look at you, the banner. Uh, you're our hope. You're our deliverer. Your spirit, Holy Spirit, you are the power behind our unity, behind the things that you desire to accomplish through us. And um, we thank you for not giving up on us. You're incredible. In Jesus' name, amen.